So just to start with, just in case anybody hasn't heard about the books already, we've got a few books with us. Frank says we haven't got many left. We've got Mountain Moving Prayer. And if you buy that, you get free city-changing prayer, which it, it really unpacks the theology uh, based on the book of Nehemiah of what we did in Manchester. Then we've got Serve, which we wrote last year for Spring Harvest. It's a study booklet for small groups. Serve the core ministry of the body of Christ. It was really inspired by lockdown time. Frank and I were traveling to um, Woking just before lockdown. And we passed this church. And it, uh, any of you know that churches often have signs outside. And the sign it had outside, you know, some of them are awful, aren't they? Some of the church signs, you know, you just make you cringe, uh, especially in Northern Ireland. Uh, but anyway, this church had the sign, we are here for you. And then it, underneath it had the phone number of the church. And it was saying to the community, we're here for you. And we thought, do you know what? That's a really good sign. That is what we should be doing. We're here for you. How do we serve our community as the body of Christ? So that's that book, of, uh, Six Studies in Nehemiah. And then um, Rock Your World, Redeeming Our Communities. We call it Rock for short. And it's got um, stories of transformation from across the UK you know, social action things that work. And then we've got the two prayer course books that go with Mountain Moving Prayer and a leader's guide for the person that leads the small group. So they get the secret notes uh, to lead the group and it makes you look good. Uh, and then finally, um, our conference. We do every year a national conference. It's going to be in Staffordshire at the Yarmfield Christian Conference Centre. It's a gorgeous place. And it's called Go Deeper. We've got um, Lou Fellingham, Noel Robinson leading the worship, and my son, and, and my son Josh and I. And we're doing a double act on um, leading the prayer and the ministry. So do get hold of those books. Um, I, um, my son Josh um, actually sent me a message a few minutes ago and he said, Mum, you have to prophesy over Big C. So come on down, down to the front. I don't know what I'm going to say. Let's give him a round of applause. So this is, Josh, this is Josh's fault. So is it all right if we pray for you? And just everybody engage in prayer for Big C, um, for what God wants to say. But immediately as you walk into the front, I was thinking about the verses in Ezekiel 37 which is referred to, to the Valley of the Dry Bones. You probably know it well. Um, and uh, it basically goes like um, God led this prophet Ezekiel into this massive valley. It was full of dead, dry bones. Nothing was alive. It was a parched desert kind of place. Um, type of place prophets sort of hang out. And um, uh, Ezekiel asks the Lord, um, what, Lord, can these bones live? And um, Ezekiel replies, a very good reply, only you alone know, Lord. And then the Lord says to him, prophesy over the bones, starts prophesy over the bones and starts to come alive. And sinews and rattlings and come up a mighty army. So that's the scripture that I have for you. And the application is that the Lord is taking you to a place which has got 
a lot of people who might look alive on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. These are young people. And you found your ministry, I know you're a youth leader, and I know you work with young people, and probably a lot of them are church people, but actually right now there's a transitioning happening in you where you're going to be going out of your comfort zone to young people who are not churched people and they look a bit alive on the outside but they're really dead and I feel like you've been crying out to God and say give me a voice for that generation Show me how to translate what I do in church youth ministry into that dead situation. You've been asking God and he's, he's just saying, you are going to have that, you are going to prophesy over those bones and you are going to see them come alive in a new way. And I feel like there's a ministry coming to you, which is what a ministry in youth stuff, which the church hasn't seen before. And we just want to pray over you today. uh, God is saying you've got a big vision. Do not go for what you can do comfortably. Let me stretch you, says the Lord. Let me take you into that place which looks dead and and ask yourself the question, I can't really do anything with this. This is dead, God. And then begin to speak. And as you speak, you're going to see life come. So we pray in Jesus' name that you will um, bring this to life, this vision that he's carrying, this big vision for a big uh, thing that you want to do in our nation and to see young people who um, would never have the chance to really live, live. So Father, bless him, we pray in Jesus' name. Draw out the gold draw out we know he's got from a wonderful family and we know that the family are going to be involved in this ministry as well in prayer back up and support but lord draw out the gold in this young man pray in jesus name amen 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 i just want to pray for andy wright if you want to come forward um because I just felt like we got interrupted today. and But I just want to honour you and pray and ask the Lord to release something prophetic for Hub. Is it Hub Community Church? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know there are others there from Hub. If you're from Hub, would you stand up? We just want to... Oh, look, there's loads of people from Hub. Can the rest of us really... Because, you know, biblically, unity is about preferring one another in love. It's actually blessing someone else's church. It's actually praying that God would do that church good, even if it's not your church. Let's reach out our hand to Andy. Oh, shoot. Yeah, Father. Lord, just as you interrupted, and we had the weather interrupting today, and... It was torrential. But Lord, you are sending your fire. You're sending your fire. And these guys have been waiting for this move that's coming now for them for a long time. There's a a new apostolic mantle on you that I can see. And it's the almost to the extent of 
where Moses parts the Red Sea. It's that kind of mantle. So it's the sort of mantle where you can look in front of you and see there's no way back, there's no way forward. The sea's there. The only option is the parting of the sea. And you've got to stretch out your hand, Andy. And as you stretch forth your hand, just as it was with Moses, that's when you're going to see parted. And this is to do with God taking you into a different place. Where you are now is temporary home. There's a new place that he has for you and I started to speak about it today when I showed you the picture of the fuse. I did that deliberately because I knew God was going to give you somewhere and I can really see that this is not just a building for the sake of a building. This is because of a ministry that you guys are carrying in your heart and I want to call it a school of ministry because that's what I heard this afternoon. I heard school of ministry, and this is to do with the training and equipping of people to go out and reach uh, places in Jesus' name. There's a strong anointing on you, not, this doesn't sound a bit rude, not just to lead Hub Community Church, but to expand and extend God's kingdom and to, to lead this school of ministry. So that is why the parting of the waters is going to be needed because God is taking you into new territory. And there's an anointing coming on your church, not just on you. And we just prophesy over Hub Community Church. We say, be blessed. And the scripture that I have for you is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you, for he has anointed you to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And we just declare the year of the favor of the Lord on them, that they would just flow in this ministry, the oil of joy for the spirit of despair, the mantle of praise, the garment of praise. Father, thank you, Lord, that you are releasing over them a ministry where they will be brokenhearted for that which breaks your heart, that they will not rest until they see you move, and that they will really be those people who will carry the anointing for the poor. The poor, that is God's anointing for you. Uh, food banks, other ministries are going to rise up amongst you. There's going to be mercy ministries rising up amongst you and the equipping of others in mercy ministries. So we just bless this community of people. Get ready to expand. Get ready to enlarge. Get ready for growth, not just for the sake of church growth, but for the sake of kingdom growth. Get ready to feed the poor. Get ready to clothe the naked. Get ready to distribute that which God has given to you and see the multiplication happening and the baskets left over. We just pray in Jesus' name a blessing on them. We cheer them on. 
as one church basing stoke. And we say, let them do well. Let them run fast. Let them excel. Let them succeed. Let them flourish in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Let's give them a round of applause. Amen. Okay. I just, I just want to share three things um, from the book of Nehemiah. Don't worry, it's not the whole book. It's just the first six chapters, just the odd few verses as a sort of catalyst because a lot of people have asked us about city transformation, what we've seen happen in Manchester and what we're seeing happening in Rock and what was the scriptural kind of foundation or a mandate for that or inspiration for that. And the main scripture, it's not the only one, but the main is is actually the story of what happens to Nehemiah. That's what really inspired us because we he saw the city broken and Jerusalem, the gates been burned with fire, the, the walls are broken down, and he wanted to do something about it. And he spends a prolonged time period of prayer, and then he goes to the king and queen, gets all the provisions that he needs, and then he goes to a long way from Susa to Jerusalem to start the rebuilding work, to recruit a team. He doesn't do it on his own to overcome the opposition and in think it's something like 52 days the city is restored and repaired that's just a paraphrase and so that's the bit that really inspires us and I want to speak, and we did this at the prophetic uh, workshop yesterday, was it only yesterday, and we did um, three things, care, prayer, and dare uh, in the context of prophecy, but I'm going to switch it now to the context of um, transformation. So I think we've got some slides coming up on the screen, um, so I'll try and make the clicker work. So the first thing is care, and I'm going to get Frank to come up in a minute and do the section, do the a bit on the section of prayer. Um, so let's start just by reading just the first four verses of chapter one, the words of Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev, it's like his diary really, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city, a citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, but they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So the, the very first thing, I think, in the process of... Um, transformation, social transformation. Sometimes they go in a slightly different order, but I think the very first thing is to do with care. It's to do with concern for that which troubles you about society. Uh, you know, his heart is broken when he hears this report. Something really get it, it doesn't. It's not just slightly concerned. It's to his gut. He, he is so troubled by it, he has to begin to go before the Lord. It causes him to go before the Lord for a prolonged period of prayer. So the very first process really is about care. It's about what kind of what breaks your heart. And um, then you begin to do something about it. So I'm just showing you a photograph now of some people who work with us on what we call rock garden garden project started in Blackpool 
and that's James Baker with his team. And he was really concerned about the level of unemployment in Blackpool. He was also really concerned about the social deprivation in Blackpool and, you know, things like people's overgrown gardens. At the same time, he had quite a passion for gardens. He, he worked for Blackpool Coastal Housing uh, Service and he, he really wanted to use his passion for gardens, his concern about unemployment and begin to turn that situation around. So he rang me up about eight years ago, said, Deborah, I want to work for Rock. I said, well, I haven't really got any money to afford to pay you, but come on board part-time and we'll see what happens. Now he's got about 12 staff and he works full-time and it's just grown incredibly. And basically what the, he does is he takes unemployed uh, people, mainly men, and some of them are homeless, they're unemployed, they're long-term unemployed, unemployable really, and he teaches them gardening skills, teaches them how to use gardening tools, and then they go out to, uh, to mainly social housing, overgrown gardens, you get the before and after pictures, chops down, the, chops down all the overgrowth so that the neighbours are happy because now they're living on the road with a nice, neat garden, and then eight out of every ten of his unemployed um, volunteers has paid employment because he set up a gardening business where people who can afford to pay for the gardens pay. So what I'm trying to illustrate is that it's what concerns you, it's what breaks your heart and maybe couple that with what you are probably gifted in or what you are able to do with what God has put into your hands. Um, and it's that care and concern. In Matthew 9, verse 36, it says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Jesus is moved to compassion, and then from his compassion, he moves into a place of ministry into people's lives. And I think it's exactly the same process for Nehemiah. It's exactly the same process for us. Why did I do what I did? Because I was, didn't like the nickname Gunchester, and that made me do something about it. I didn't know it was going to lead to us working with the police and having a national charity. And if I'd known that, I would never have done it because I would have been too scared. But, you know, God uses that passion that's on your heart there's been 46,000 cases of knife crime in the year up to March 2020 in our, in our nation, in the UK. Um, CAP, the Christian Against Poverty Ministry, have told us that 65% of their clients can't afford to buy a winter coat. There have been 2.2 million food parcels given out in 2022 and one in three people reporting mental health, that they are suffering from mental health. You could go on and on and on. There's so many needs out in society and it starts with that compassion concern. You know, when I heard that statistic about the, the 
the people can't afford to buy a winter coat. One of our projects in Northern Ireland started a winter coat project, and we've done about 30 or 40 winter coat projects now. It's really simple. You can do it anywhere. You just get some rails, and you, you ask people to donate their pre-loved coats that they don't wear anymore. You've got them all on rails in sizes and colour formats, and then you have open day where the community come along and they can get a, a coat. And I can't tell you how transformational that project is, because it's not actually just about the coats. It, people start getting into conversation one one another and start to build up community. So it's all about it's all about what do you care about, what breaks your heart. Don't worry too much about what breaks somebody else's heart. You know, one of the problems in the church is we feel guilty because we see that the need is overwhelming like it was for Nehemiah. So we fear, we're tempted to think we can't do anything because it's just too big. But if you to think that each individual person carries something and you just do the bit that you're carrying, when you add that together, that is, uh, that is actually what's going to meet society's needs because we all wired in different ways. So care is the first thing. Find out what's going on in Basingstoke, if you don't know it already. Actually get some st statistical information, like we were saying before. Break it down into themes. Break it down into different things that each person might express concern for, and then begin to put that plan together, and you will step by step, little by little. So I'm going to get Frank up to talk about the prayer piece. And I'll well, that's a bit more slides about the before and after gardens. And, but I'm going to get Frank up to talk about prayer. Thank you for springing that upon me. Um, <laughs> I, I was reflecting recently about the first time I prayed in public. Uh, it's a very long time ago, actually. I'd not been a Christian for very long. I prayed that prayer, asking Jesus into my heart and all that. And then... Within a couple of weeks, we found ourselves on a Wednesday night in a prayer meeting uh, in a tiny little church about the size of a, a, a double garage. It was all f paint was flaking. There were um, old-fashioned heaters on the wall. I can still picture them. Half of your face got burned, and the other part of you was freezing. Getting lots of nods. You were, were you in the same church? <laughs> and there were about five people there. The average age was about 80. Um, and... We were really keen to pray, Deborah and I. We, we were the young people. We were in our 20s at the time. And we were the first people that had been converted in that church for generations, I think. Um, so we heard these other people praying, and I decided I was going to pray my first prayer. So I waited until there was a long enough pause. You, you, already learning the kind of protocols, you know, at that stage. And I said... I prayed, I can't remember the words, but I prayed essentially that God would, that there the would be a time that God would grant us the ability to respond to the uh, requests that would come from police and social services to the church to help them meet the needs of the, uh, the communities. Um, at the time, there was, a, you know, like there always is, a lot of needs. We knew about the needs. My heart was concerned about it. And I thought, well, since the, God is almighty and can do anything, 
and we're asking him for stuff, instead of asking him just about the heaters on the wall that need replacing, why don't we ask God to do something sensational? So I prayed for that. God, let there be a time when the police and the social services come to the churches and say, please, will you help us to meet our needs? Now, today, that doesn't sound outrageous, but in those days, if you, you're old enough to remember how impossible that was, because police and councils did not trust churches, and anything that smacked of religion was anathema. So that's probably why, at the end of the prayer meeting, one of the elders took me on one side and said, Frank, well done for, for, pray, for making your first public prayer. It was, it was great to see that. He said, but I just want to give you a word of advice. I said, what's that? He said, well, when we pray like that with other people present, it's always best to pray in a realistic way. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of counterproductive, that, isn't it? But I took that to heart. I thought, okay, I must start to not pray for such big things. And it was many, many, many years later when I was reminded of that prayer, because now that is precisely what's happening. Deborah is on first name terms with 43 chief constables in this country. That's every police force in this country. And senior leaders of uh, metropolitan borough councils, chief executives, and they all want the church to help them to meet the needs of their community. And uh, only recently, was it just tonight you mentioned the NHS, or was that earlier today? You know, the, the local National Health Service have asked us, to, can we help them to meet some of their needs? It's now happening on a daily basis. It's happening all over the country. Um, it, it, it starts with caring, and secondly, we pray about it, and then the needs are made known to us, and, and the help is asked for. So I could talk for longer, but we're probably you need to get the microphone back because it's getting late. So that's, that's it. Thank you so much. I'm just going to see if I can find what thing I wanted to show you. Oh, not that one. Not that one. No. I thought I was going to be able to show you our police poster. We, um, the first time we started play, praying for the police... And that's just what, I mean, we prayed for teachers, we prayed for all the different spheres, the health, health sector and everything. But the first time we started praying for the police, we designed a poster, I think it might be in one of our books, where we put posters up. We asked, is it in City Changing Prayer? We asked um, churches to put posters up in their local police station or to ask the police station to put the poster up. And the poster said something like... Um, we want you to know that we're praying for you. Um, we are praying for your protection. We are thanking you for the work that you do on behalf of society, our society, keeping us safe, looking after the vulnerable. We're praying for you and your families for protection. I mean, uh, I don't know whether you have talked about mental health. I don't know whether you know that suicide rates amongst police officers is double that which it is for the rest of the population the pressures that they're under. I said, I want you to know we're praying for you. Uh, we love you. 
we appreciate you and this is on on behalf of all the churches in Greater Manchester, wasn't quite all of them but I just put that anyway, it was nearly all of them and uh, one or two didn't want to take part and we did it and we said on the 28th of January 1998 we're, we're going to be praying for you at King's Church in Manchester, we had about one and a half thousand people at that meeting and um, they didn't, ne- they didn't necessarily come to it, but they knew we were praying. Not one single police station refused to put the, the poster up. One year later, all those posters were still in place. And when we did the prayer meeting for the police, like Frank says, what we would do is we'd find out all the information about police and crime antisocial behavior we put it all in a bulletin so people had information people had concrete thing in their hand uh, some people like that you know when they're pro- they, will, they like to know where they're going with these prayers and then we interview police officers asking them about their job and the first police officer ever uh, interviewed was a guy called Stephen Oak son of Robin Oak who was a chief constable and Stephen Oak was a mem- actually was a Christian, went to Point and Baptist Church. And I interviewed him and I said, tell me what it's like to be a police officer. Tell me some of the struggles that you face. Tell me, and he was really tall, so I was like this, really tall. He was about six foot six. And he was telling me that the night before, he'd gone to a home of a mum and dad to tell them that their 16-year-old son had been killed in a joyriding accident. Mum and dad stood at the door and said, no, you, you're incorrect, our son's upstairs in bed. They, you must have made a mistake. They go up the stairs and the bed is empty. He got up in the middle of the night and gone out with his friend, not known to mum and dad, and they both died. Just took a car, just went out for a little ride. And we were like, I looked round the room at this point and everyone's in tears. Um, and people are beginning to see what people do for their day job is actually so important that we pray. I mean, we pray for loads of stuff in church, which is nothing like as important as that, in my opinion. Might might offend a few people, but actually, we're not we're not we're overlooking praying for some really big things in society. And so because of this, the church in Manchester started praying for the police. In 2003, Stephen Oak, who, because he was a Christian, he was the butt-end of everybody's jokes at the poli- in, in the police service. I mean, nobody, the police are big, tough people. You know, you don't need a crutch of Christianity. So they, they always made fun of him in the staff rooms and things. In 2003, he was called to a home in Crumpsall. He stood in the doorway to protect his colleagues who were stood in the room behind him and lost his life, literally laid down his life for his um, police officer colleagues. And then the whole thing changed in Manchester toward uh, the, in, in, in policing. And actually, Alpha courses started in five police stations across the city that had had these posters up for the previous five years. I mean, the funeral of Stephen Oak, Shiri and uh, Tony Blair came. I mean, the whole city was lined with people. It was just absolutely massive. And people began to see 
the strength of his faith, but also begin to see how important it is for us to pray. Well, that's just one example, but it's breaking those things down and really seeing what God wants to do um, in our you know, in our community and how can we reach out to people. Like I say, we've done the same thing with teachers. We've done the same thing with um, in people who are medics and, and just sort of got the information and begun to pray. So the last thing is dare. You know, Nehemiah, he doesn't just pray. Prayer is like Frank says, a powerful first step. He does something about it. He, he goes from that concern and that prayer into action. And, and you know, to me to, to me, to be honest, I think this is the biggest step that we're missing. I do think there's a lot of fantastic prayer going on across the country. And I, I agree with David, the Gather Movement we've worked with, and it's wonderful, and the Unity Movement is great. But the transformation bit, is the bit where you have to cross the line over and go into the scary bit. And Nehemiah goes to the king and queen and he tells them, he's very fearful, and he tells them what he needs. The king actually asks him, what do you need? What is it you want? And I often say, if you ever get asked that question, you need to know the answer. And so much of the time, we don't. If somebody really wealthy or somebody really influential comes to me and says, what is it you need? I have to have my answer ready. And the only reason he has his answer ready is because he spent that prolonged period in prayer. And he has actually already heard God say what is going to be needed. He's got his list. And he gets everything given to him, everything that he needs for the job, and then goes... And they didn't have transport, public transport. <laughs> he had to walk a very long way. But he goes and he begins to put that in practice. And we've had so many situations. Like I'll just give you one example. We had a vision to hold an event in Merseyside because a young boy called Reese Jones, 11 years old, had lost his life in a knife crime, well, a knifing incident. And I was just heartbroken about it. So I went to see the chief constable of Merseyside Police. This is in 2008. I thought, we've done it in Manchester. Why can't we come here? It's not far away. And as I was driving into Liverpool, I saw this massive building called the Echo Arena that had just been built. And I thought, oh, that would be a really good place to have a meeting. And then I go into the meeting with the chief constable and I shared my vision with him. I said, I want to bring a big group of people together. We got, we're going to get Reese Jones School involved. They're, they're going to bring a choir. We're going to interview people. We're going to get Bird and Hogan Howe, who's the chief constable. We're going to ask all these people to come. Um, please, can we ha do this meeting? Because we want to see an end to knife crime. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. That We'd love it. Where do you want to have the meeting? And I said, well, <laughs> we can either have it at the church and find the biggest church, which probably, um, I can't remember the name of the church, um, Frontline Church, led by a friend of mine, Nick Harding. We can have it there. They hold about 800. Or... Or we could have it at that Echo Arena that I've just seen down the road. Because then we could have 5,000 people. And that would really have a big splash and a big impact. And he went, 
yeah, how much it's going to cost? I said, well, budget's going to be about £43,000. And he went, well, who's going to pay for it? I said, you are. And he went, yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't quite happen that way now because there's no money, but then. And they paid £43,000 for us to do a Christian event at the Echo Arena. 450 police officers came to it. And at one point, what I did was I said, if you're a police officer, please, could you stand to your feet? They didn't want this to happen, but they were really embarrassed. I said, stand to your feet, and they got a standing ovation. And they were literally people sobbing. And one police officer told me, in all my 30 years of service, nobody has ever said thank you to me. And that night, a hard shell broke around my heart. And I want you to know that a few weeks later, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Because I'd never in my life felt the love of God before like I did that night. And that's one of the things that's a really simple thing to take away, actually. Saying thank you to people. Smile at people. Be kind that's what God's put in us anyway, right? And, and share that kind of love. Be, be that person. It's, it's just a simple approach. So one more quick story for us before we finish. When, when we don't always just have big prayer meetings about massive social needs, by the way. We once had a prayer meeting when it was going to be the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. So I thought, Oh, if we're having the Commonwealth Games in Manchester, let's get a big prayer meeting to pray for the Commonwealth Games. And we um, hired the velodrome, which is the cycling dome opposite City of Manchester Football Stadium. I had to get that in. And it's where Chris Hoy and all the Olympic cyclists rehearse. And I went to the general manager and I said, I've got a vision to have a big prayer meeting. It was a bit hard to say because this guy's not a Christian. I said, I know it's going to sound really strange, but I'm a Christian and I want to bring all the churches in Manchester together to pray for the Commonwealth Games. And he went, oh yeah, we can probably give you a room or something like that. So I don't want a room, I want the whole site. He said, well, how many people do you think are going to come? I said, a lot of people are going to come. I didn't know at that stage. And he said, well, there's something in the diary, but you know what, I think this is important, so I'm going to cancel what's in the diary and let you have it. I said, well, how much are you going to charge me? And he said, well, normally it would be a few thousand pounds, but I'm going to let you have it for 300 pounds. Is that okay? This, this guy's not a Christian, by the way. So we had the church in Manchester wanted to charge me more than what he wanted to charge me to use his venue. So we had 5,000 people came out to pray for the Commonwealth Games, praying for things like the weather, safety of the athletes, all these different things. And um, a lady called Frances Stone, who's the chief executive of the Commonwealth Games, came and I interviewed her, like I do with police officers, tell me what the Commonwealth Games, tell me what you want, tell me this, that and the other, and we all prayed. Um, and she went off, she wasn't a Christian, and she went off and two days later she rang me up and she said, Deborah, can you find me 300 Christians, your Christian people, can you find me 300 Christians to sing at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games with Russell Watson? And I went, yes, put the phone down. <laughs> How am I going to do it? Um, and we just put a bulletin out, who wants to sing with Russell Watson? Uh, the opening was actually very easy. So we got about 600 applicants. They were rehearsed and they went into the, um, 
the, to sing at the opening ceremony. Not singing a Christian song, but don't get too hung up about that. That isn't actually important as we think it is. Because people say, well, what's the, what was the point then? Because they sang some kind of secular song. So the point is, you've got 300 Holy Spirit-filled Christians going into a place where, as it says in Joshua, I'll give you every place where you set your feet. And they buried scriptures in the ground. They anointed the place with oil. They, they prayed over every inch of the space. That now has become the home of Manchester City Football Club. And people are wondering why we're doing so well. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is along that way, all those dares have taken place where I've gone and thought, this is a ridiculous idea, but we're just going to do it and ask, and then the provision has come in and through. So maybe if you're able, we're coming to probably into a land, or if you're able to stand to your feet or get into a posture of um, being activated or being commissioned or being whatever God wants to do right now. Um, because we've had like a really great couple of days and um, Lords, we are coming right now as almost like Nehemiah figures coming before you, concerned for what we see around Basingstoke and the surrounding areas, concerned for what could be that isn't yet, to speak that into being, um, concerned for all sorts of things. And through prayer right now, we're coming and we're asking you, uh, Lord, corporately to move and do what you are going to do at that breakfast on Wednesday. What you are going to do through um, what David was sharing uh, about that day of week he's going to give. Lord, come and do what you are going to do through that wonderful story Penny shared and that accolade that she's received on behalf of those volunteers. Lord, come and do what you would do in the youth stuff and in the churches, Lord. But let it spill over. Put that dare in us, Lord, to cross over into out of our comfort zones into these other places. Lord, many of you are already doing this, but Lord, fill people with your spirit now. Lord, place those things on our hearts that each one of us can do. Just let's just spend a few minutes waiting on the Holy Spirit at the end of this time. What you want to do, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Seal the things that you've already said. Releasing fresh vision to others. Releasing strength to people who have a vision. Releasing provision for that vision like you did for Nehemiah, releasing, giving us the courage to ask for things that are a bit beyond what we can believe for even, because you can do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, 
God. Just want to repeat over you some of the prophecies that have been brought already from this weekend. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen over you. And Basingstoke, you are a city or a town. In, in one of the translations, it actually says town on a hill. Let your light shine. Don't hide it. Put it um, on a high place, on a table for people to see. Thank you, God, for what you've been saying. Stoke the fire. Stoke the fire in Basingstoke. Father, we just want to really bring what you're doing amongst us, Lord. Before you, Jesus, come in power, Lord. Amen.